Welcome to Parkview on the Go. The service you're listening to happened on a big weekend for our church. Everyone who normally attends a physical campus had the opportunity to visit, well, a physical campus. So as podcast listeners, we celebrate with them as Parkview and everybody else on the planet continues to navigate this crazy world we're living in. And because of those changes, there's another uh, little tweak when it comes to our online services. You'll be able to stream the Parkview at-home experience on demand starting at 4.30 on Saturdays. Then it will stream live on basically every platform known to man on Sundays at 9, 10, 11, and 12. So when you say to yourself, what did Nathan say about the changes to online service times? Uh, well, when that happens, just head over to parkvchurch.com slash at home to get the information that you need. That's parkvchurch.com slash at home. On today's episode, Pastor Tim starts our time together by kicking off a brand new teaching series called The Separation of Church and Hate. And then I'll be back to share a couple of things with you before we sign off. Again, thanks for spending time with us today. Enjoy the message. Hey, Parkview. 2020, right? I mean, people are using it as a swear word now. I think that's kind of funny. What in the 2020? How many of you online, in person, wherever you are, how many of you would say that you're a little stressed right now? How many of you would say that you're a little stressed about the future of the United States of America right now? How many of you would say you're a little nervous about the election in November? Uh, How many of you would say, this is the most stressed I've been about a presidential election ever? other than maybe you know that hanging Chad thing when we didn't know who the president was gonna be until like 2000, right? Eight in 10 Americans today say that the biggest source of stress in their life is politics. So we're trying to be relevant. We're starting a series today called The Separation of Church and Hate. And it's no surprise that since I've announced this series, I've had people from both sides of the political aisle reaching out to me saying, I'm so glad you're gonna do this series because you need to tell them, fill in the blank, Republicrats, that they are wrong. But I like Billy Graham's approach. He was a pastor to Republicans and Democrats, and he used to say, you know, I'm not for the left wing, I'm not for the right wing, I'm for the whole bird. And um, I think that's what Jesus would be about today. And this is what we need to understand about each other right now. Republicans are absolutely convinced that Jesus would be a Republican because of their values. And Democrats would say that absolutely Jesus would be a Democrat because of his concern for the less fortunate. I mean, for example, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. But which children, right? The ones in the womb that one side's trying to protect or the immigrant babies or the poor babies without health care that the other side are trying to protect. I mean, would Jesus choose between them? You see, the problem is I could make the Bible say a lot of things if I wanted. Like this whole racial thing, for example, has really been exacerbated by the white church making the Bible say what it wanted to. I mean, not now, but back in the day it did. Back in slavery days, civil war, pre-civil war, well, the Bible said southern churches, the Bible says, you know, there were slaves in the Bible. Paul told slaves to obey their masters. And they would say things like interracial marriage is wrong because they would misinterpret passages in the Bible like we talked about in Nehemiah a couple of weeks ago about not letting your daughters marry the people around them, which had nothing to do with race. 
Even the Constitution and the crazy math that blacks are three-fifths human was accredited to the son of Noah named Ham. Uh, He was the one of the three sons who treated Noah with disrespect and his people were cursed. And back then, people, Christians, Muslims, Jews, everyone, was saying that the black race was part of the Ham curse, (laughs) which the Jewish people obviously said. Listen, I have no idea how Noah and his wife had two white boys and one black boy, but evidently people bought it. And the Bible has been used to prohibit tattoos, long hair on guys when I was a kid, uncovered heads on women, not drinking alcohol, being a Cubs fan. And that was just me, and I was kidding. But I can find a verse that prohibits all of those things. That just doesn't mean I'm taking it in context. Because, here you go, this is it. When you interpret the words of Jesus through your political filter, it's amazing how often he agrees with you. Can I say that again? When you interpret the words of Jesus through your own political filter, he will agree with you every time. I have members of my own family who are on both sides of the issues today, and they all know Jesus really well. So this series is not intended to give you the right view. That simply isn't possible. You're still gonna have to choose. This is intended to change the way we respond to one another in the political environment. All right? We have to stop making assumptions about people. Uh, I've talked to many black people right now who feel judged right now everywhere they go. I talk to many police officers who feel judged right now. Sometimes it's age judging, you know, the younger people are judging the older and vice versa. My true story, my white sister-in-law was walking in her neighborhood in St. Louis, and as she walked around a cul-de-sac, there was a teenage white girl writing Black Lives Matter on the sidewalk, okay, in big letters and obviously staging it for a social media picture. And Patty walked towards her just because the sidewalk went that way. And Patty said, hi, because Patty is the friendliest person on the planet. She's basically Mrs. Rogers. She probably said, hi, neighbor. And the girl looked at her and said, you look like a carrot. And Patty said, confused, what? She said, you look like a carrot. Patty said, you must have me confused with somebody else. And she said, she thought to herself, you know, it was hot and I get red in the face. Maybe I was a little orange and my hair does get frizzy, but but in the humidity, I just don't get it. And she walked away and she went home and she told her daughter, someone just called me a carrot. And then she told her about the situation in the Black Lives Matter art. And Christy said, oh, mom, she was calling you a Karen, which didn't make any more sense to Patty than being called a carrot because she didn't understand that term either, and maybe you don't, but you see a Karen is a slang term for an angry, entitled white woman who is usually anti-mask and often sometimes racist. So this girl sees a middle-aged white woman coming towards her and assumed that Patty was gonna confront her about writing Black Lives Matter, which couldn't have been further from reality, but that's what happens when we judge. So I would just like to start a new term for white women who are not racist and love everyone like Jesus would, and let's call them patties, okay? Patty with an I. Are you good with that? Turn to a white woman near you, if you have one, and say, you are not a carrot, you are a patty. See, that's the way that it ought to be. So what's the problem? The really weird problem today is algorithms. It's algorithms. We're living in a world of algorithms that the previous generation didn't have to deal with. 
If you ask Google to put ceiling fan on your hardware list, all of a sudden, what's going to happen? Every time you open your laptop, there's gonna be an ad for a ceiling fan. That's how algorithms work. When you see a news article on Facebook, it is gonna feed more and more stories to you about that same thing, and the more you click, the narrower it gets. Algorithms are about showing you what they think you want to see. And it's also true with the news today, right? Which one are you gonna watch, Fox or CNN? You see, here's the problem. Algorithms are designed to reinforce what you already want and what you already believe. So we surround ourselves with people that are algorithms and ads that are algorithms and news that are all algorithms that are just reinforcing what we already want and already believe. The book of James was written during times like 2020. Followers of Jesus were experiencing pressure. They lost their jobs and their homes. They were separated from families. They were facing an uncertain future. And there was a lot of frustration and fear and disappointment and anxiety. So what does James, the half-brother of Jesus, talk about as he begins his book of the Bible? He talks about algorithms, if you will. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, okay? Right there. Before he does anything else, he wants to remind them that they're family. I think every parent with small children close to the same age right now is uh, experiencing the same thing that James is trying to do right now. Most parents, most of you parents are homeschooling unexpectedly, right? So imagine this scenario. I'm sure it would never happen, but just use your imagination. You're sitting at the table trying to do homework, trying to do your, your schoolwork, trying to get Zoom to work and all that stuff, and the younger one keeps touching the older one, keeps bugging, keeps stealing the pencil or whatever, and the older one is getting frustrated and angry. I know this is just imagination, but you try to you know, address this by putting a piece of tape down the table and say, don't go past that. And pretty soon you go to you know, Home Depot and you buy one of those plastic sheets and you put it in between, but nothing works. And you think about threatening them and sending them to their rooms, but you know they'd rather go to their rooms than do schoolwork, so you can't do that. And they're fighting and arguing. And finally you say to the older one who you think is going to be more mature, hey, she's your sister. He's your brother. Right? I mean, th th this is a big deal in, in my grandkids' families as well. Here's one-year-old Maggie getting into Charlie's schoolwork. He's in kindergarten, right? In other words, you might be right, but the relationship is more important than being right. This might be your stuff, but the relationship matters more than getting what you deserve or what you think you deserve. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Your relationships matter. Your family, you're the church, you're the family of God. And then he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Notice there are no qualifiers. I wish there were qualifiers. Part of me wishes that he would have said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, unless the person you're talking to is really annoying, you know? Unless the person you're talking to is on the other side of politics. Unless the person that you're talking to is someone that you've been quarantined with for the last six months, then the gloves are off. But that's not what he says. No, no qualifiers. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Living with anger does not produce the kind of marriage or family or neighborhood or community or church or country that God wants us to have. 
And he's giving us, James is giving us a very easy to understand, but very hard to practice solution for angry people. I talked about this verse a little bit earlier in the pandemic, but, but let me unpack it, okay? Number one, you're gonna be quick to listen. So that is reflect before you react. One of the great remedies for anger is delay. Delay, delay, delay. Before you speak, before you react, before you post, take time to reflect. Proverbs writer said, this is a paraphrase, but I like it. Stupid people <laughs> express their anger openly, but sensible people are patient and hold it back. That's saying if you want to be wise, chill, okay? Wait before you react. The longer you withhold your temper, the more it improves. That's why they say take a deep breath and count to 10, right? But it's more than just delay. It's try to understand, okay? Quick to listen is try to understand. And when you hear yourself saying, you know, I just don't understand why they would believe that way. You just made a confession. There's something that those black people that you aren't one of, maybe, are saying the things that they're saying and you don't understand. And it's time to listen so that you can understand. There's, there, there's times when, when people who are police officers are saying something on the other side and you're like, I don't understand how you can say that. And, and it's because you're not listening. The only way we get to a place where this gets healed is if we listen. Do you understand why they feel the way they do? In marriage counseling, literally, our counselors called it listen for understanding. It's, it's a great term, right? Listen for understanding. So don't talk right away, just listen and repeat back what you heard the other person say. I heard you say these jeans make me look fat. No, I said you ought to buy a new pair of jeans. No, no, you see, you gotta repeat back to them because anger is like the smoke detector in your house. Okay, stay with this. When a smoke detector goes off, the problem is not the smoke detector. The problem is that something is burning. The problem is that turkey bacon doesn't have any fat in it, so it just lies there in the pan and burns up because it's not really food, right? The smoke detector tells me something's wrong. What anger does is it's the second emotion. It tells us that something is wrong and needs our attention. And there are three primary emotions that lead us to the second emotion. Fear, frustration, and hurt. Let me give you a few scenarios to get to the root of the anger problem, okay? Example number one, maybe COVID-19 has impacted you economically. Financially, you're not sure if you're gonna recover from this. Uh, your business is not doing well. Increasingly, you have a short fuse and you're at work all the time and, and you've put all this equity and time and money into this business and you don't know what's going to happen and you're angry all the time. Well, what's behind that anger? It's fear. That's what it is. And to admit you're feeling afraid feels and seems weak, but it takes a lot of vulnerability to tell someone you're scared, so you're angry. Example two, many of us are angry at institutions and organizations and, and people these days. I'm so angry with the school district. I'm so angry with the government. I'm angry with the church. I'm angry, angry, angry. What's going on? That's frustration. It's frustration, absolutely. We're frustrated that we're stuck at home. We're frustrated that school can't be like it was. We're frustrated that we can't worship together. We're frustrated that there aren't solutions, so we get angry. Or maybe, um, 
Example three, your wife is angry all the time. You're, just wor- you're both working from home, you're both stressed out, but the reality is um, you don't help out very much and you don't pick up after yourself and you leave dirty dishes in the sink and, and you only talk when you want something. And she seems angry all the time. I've had it with you. Now what's really going on? You would say, how would I know? I'm a guy, I never know what's going on. I, I, I know, okay, but let me give you some advice. As a 36 year marriage veteran, Okay, that's her smoke detector going off. The anger is likely a smoke detector telling you that she's hurt. It's her way of saying, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling unloved, I'm feeling neglected. And it may or may not be your fault, but it's good to know, so listen. You reflect before you react and then you restrain your remarks. He says, be slow to speak. And the reason that's difficult is because there's a psychological reaction. We have adrenaline flowing in our bodies when we get angry and our blood pressure goes up and we feel empowered to act. And the more empowered we feel to act, the more difficult it is to be slow to speak. And guess what? Research shows us that venting on other people is actually fun. It makes people feel good and powerful, but shockingly, research has also said something that will surprise some of you. It shows that most people don't enjoy getting vented on. In other words, the ventilator has a lot more fun than the ventilatee, if that's a word. Ventilating is not an effective way to manage anger because it just creates more anger. The truth is we manage anger better when we are slow to speak and slow to become angry and we don't just ventilate. Again, Proverbs writer, talk too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and shut up. My paraphrase. So, some of you say, oh, PT, that sounds great, but I just can't do it, man. I understand, but I can't do it. I just blow up and, and I can't control it. Yeah, you can During quarantine, watch me, okay? During quarantine, you, like me, have been working from home a lot, and maybe you feel like you've had a little bit too much togetherness, and you're impatient, and it's the middle of the day, and everybody's sucking up the internet bandwidth, and everybody's mad at each other. Hey, I need to get on this call, and you need to get off. And it's all angry and hot blood pressure rising, and the volume levels are 11 for Spinal Tap fans, and emotions are at a boiling point, and all of a sudden your phone rings, and it's your boss calling. What do you do? Hey, hey, hey! What's going on, boss? Right? Instant change. How does that happen? You can control it. Or maybe you don't blow up. Maybe your anger speak is sarcasm. I'm really good at that. You're a passive aggressive type who gets in the little digs and little jabs in ways that people, you know, you don't even have to own up to, but people get it. Or maybe your weapon of choice is silent treatment, which I would say is one of the cruelest expressions of anger that there is. I'm just going to clam up. My little one-year-old granddaughter, number five, Maggie, man, I was with her this summer. She was only 10 months at the time. She wasn't walking. And we were all together, like in the kitchen doing something. And she's crawling around on the floor and she starts whining a little bit, you know, crying. And so I bend down to pick her up. I promise you, I'm good with kids. You guys know I'm good with kids. Maggie's hard to win over. I bend down to pick her up and she just turns her back to me like that. And then Nana comes over and says, oh, Maggie, what do you need, baby? And bends down and Maggie puts her arms up. Maybe that's you, okay? Whatever your speak 
language is be slow to get to that point. And remember why. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me be clear, anger is not a sin. The Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. I wrote a book called What Made Jesus Mad. It would be a really short book if anger was a sin, right? But James warns us that when the anger is not focused in the right way, it does not produce the righteousness, the right living, the right way things should be. This is where we are right now. Can I read it again? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And by the way, it's not very fun for anybody. Will Rogers once said, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. I love that. All you have to do is look around at the results of mismanaged anger, and you can see that we have an epidemic going on. And I apologize for this one in advance, but they did a survey a while back of children who were asked, if you could change one thing about your mom or dad, what would it be? And the number one answer from kids was, Eight out of 10 kids said, I wish they wouldn't yell at me so much. So what do we do? Stop yelling. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Would you, wherever you are right now, just bow your head with me and I really wanna ask you to stay with me for just a few more minutes. We said today that anger is not the real problem. It's the smoke detector. It's probably hurt, it's frustration, it's fear. And, and those things are rampant with us right now. And I just want you to know that Jesus wants to help you with those things. You, you say, how could he do that? He wants to heal your hurt with his love. Even if you've been abused or unloved or rejected or unwanted in this life, if that's you right now, just, just bow your head. Nobody needs to know around you. Just say, Jesus, heal the hurt in me with your love because I want to stop hurting and I want to stop hurting other people. Fill me with your love, Lord, so that when circumstances are beyond my control, I can be love. Maybe it's frustration for you and Jesus wants to heal it with his peace. How many times did he say, my peace I leave with you? I give you a peace that passes understanding. Fear not. So maybe you just need to pray, Jesus, would you relieve my frustration and my fear? And I want your peace in my life. I, I need you to come into my life so that all this anxiety that I'm feeling, I can feel peace instead and I can be at ease with the people around me, even if I don't agree with them. Well, maybe it's fear. And Jesus wants to overcome your fear with his power. You know, there's nothing going on in 2020 that Jesus can't handle. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And that same power that brought the resurrected Jesus back from the grave is available for you. So would you pray, Jesus, would you just replace my insecurity with a feeling of peace in knowing that you still run the universe? 2020 is not any different to you than anything else. In spite of the things that are going on, I know you're in control, that, that God, you're my good father and you're gonna take care of me. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe today is the day to say, man, this sounds like something I could really use. Would you just pray, Jesus, come into my life. I need you to be in my life right now. Come in. 
I'm opening up my heart to you. I'm confused, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm frustrated. I don't know what's going on, but I believe that you can, that you do. I wanna make you my Lord and my Savior. And can I ask you just right now, if if you did that, I'm gonna give a chance for us to interact online. Just text the word, I said yes, one word. I said yes, no spaces, no hyphens, to 708-295-3729. And let us know, because we wanna encourage you. I said yes, all one word, to 708-295-3729. Let us help you with this. Let me pray out, we're gonna worship. God, I I pray that you will be our shepherd, that you will be the light of the world, that you will be the good father, that you will be the, the Yahweh, the I am, all the things that we talk about around here on a regular basis, that you will show up in an even more powerful way through the next couple of weeks and months as we head in to what is likely to be one of the most tense times in our nation's history for at least hundreds of years. And I pray that you will be with us as a country. More importantly, I ask that you'd be with us as people and with Parkview as a church, that we can separate the church from hate and we can be the light that that we talked about, that Nehemiah was trying to put into the city, that we can be that light and that it will shine and they will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. It's in your precious name that we pray, amen. I'm so happy you're listening because you are getting connected to a church full of people who have unanswered questions, doubts, hang-ups, and struggles. Uh, People like me who know they're imperfect but are striving to be more like Jesus every single day. So listen, that means if you aren't perfect, if you can relate to any of those things, you belong here at Parkview. And if you want to talk more about how to get involved in what's going on at our church, or you just have some questions that you need to get out of your brain, feel free to email me at online at parkviewchurch.com. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Parkview on the Go. See you next time.